How are we doing? Um, I think it was Jeremy said it at the start that like this is a bit like a catwalk. I've never been one for fashion or the spotlight, but I feel like I just got to go up and down all morning. But I won't too much. Don't worry. Um, I just want to say thanks. Firstly, uh, Roxanne, thanks for leading us this morning. Um, every couple of months on our music team roster, we have just a blank space where it just says alternate arrangement. And it's pretty much a blank canvas where we just ask someone to do something, something different, something creative. And um, I talked to Roxanne a couple of weeks ago and I said, oh, what do you reckon? And she's like, oh, I've got a few ideas. And I don't know. I think it was, for me, I was very much blessed by that and encouraged uh, just how great God is despite what's going on in our lives and our world. So thanks for leading that. And Michael as well, thanks for leading us in that prayer. I was just, as we were doing that, that refrain of, for his love endures forever. I was like, why is that such a key? Like, if you look through the Psalms, if you look through the Old Testament in particular, it's such a key sort of phrase. And um, I was thinking, like, the people of Israel, like, the name Israel literally means he who struggles with God or strives with God. It's the name Jacob got when he wrestled with God. And and it's like almost like that, that was a, their, their identity in the Old Testament was that they struggle and they strive with God. You know, they take two steps forward, five steps back. You know, I don't know if any of you have a life like that. I certainly do. I go to Hillsong this week. I take 10, sto- 10 steps forward. I get on the soccer field the next day. I take two steps back, you know. And, and we struggle with God. And yet in that, His steadfast love endures forever. And I just think that is the promise and the hope that we hold on to. And we've got to keep holding on to. So... I don't know, I was just encouraged. I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to share with us. And, um, you know, we've been talking throughout this year about maturing as disciples and growing as people who follow him and and moving in following him. And obviously, you know, I want to encourage us to keep doing that. But one of the things I was thinking about for the last couple of weeks is, why doesn't that happen? Like, why don't we grow? I don't know if you ever thought about that. Like, what's actually stopping us in our lives from growing and in um in Matthew 13 Jesus tells the parable of the sower you're all probably familiar with it the parable of the sower there's four different sort of seeds that go out there's the first one um and and there's three seeds that don't grow or that do grow for a bit but they don't last and there's one seed that grows and lasts till the end and um you know the first seed it falls upon the rocky soil and uh, it says that the birds snatch it up. The devil snatches it up because it didn't, it the, didn't hear the word. They didn't understand it. So the devil sort of snatches up. So one reason why we don't grow is there's spiritual opposition, and we need to be aware of that. The second one, the seed falls into the ground, but it doesn't take root. There's no depth to it. The trials and the tribulations come, the suffering, the struggles, and it's taken away. It dies off. So the second thing is that, you know, the bad things in our life can stop us from growing. But the third one is the one that always gets me because it's, it's, you know, the seed that grows for a bit and then it's choked. It's choked by the riches and it says the deceitfulness of wealth. That the riches, the cares and the worries of this world, it's the good things in our life that can actually stop us from growing spiritually. And I think for us, you know, we live in the most livable city in the world. You know, I was in Sydney this week, and Melbourne is so much better. You know, like, 
we've got to recognize that it's actually so many good things in our life can actually hinder and stop our spiritual growth. And that's a bit scary. And I think it's an encourage, I, I want to encourage us this morning that we don't lose sight of the one thing. You know, Mary and Martha is a classic Jesus story where Martha's serving. She's getting everything ready for Jesus. You know, finally, Jesus at their house. They're having a meal together. She's doing everything. Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, seemingly doing nothing. And Martha says, well, Jesus, tell her to come help. And what does Jesus say? No, (laughs) she's chosen the one thing that is necessary. She's taken the better portion and it will not be taken away from her. That the one thing necessary to sit with Jesus or in David writes in Psalm 27 verse 4 he says one thing that I seek one thing that I go after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever but and I used to think that was it like David's a bit of a weird guy he just wants to be in church every day of his life that's a bit no but if you follow it through he says one thing I desire, one thing that I seek, is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. Why? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So David wants to stay in God's presence, not just to sort of feel good, not just to sort of, because there's nice people there, but that he may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's the one desire. I go, what if that was us? That now as we walk in the presence of Jesus, everywhere we go, his spirit within us, that we can dwell with him all the days of our life, and that as we do that, we would see the beauty of the Lord. Or like Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? We have all these cares, the riches, the wealth around us. What good is all of it? if we forfeit our soul? Like what good is the great career, the nice house, the nice carpet, the new car? What good is it to travel the world, to have heaps of friends or have a functioning family or even do no work? Like what, what good is it to build a great church or to have really nice ministries or a perfect small group? Or anything? Like what good is all of that if we forfeit our soul in the process, if we don't actually know the God who saved us? See, we can do many good and noble things, but we need to be aware that the cares, the worries, and the riches of this world will choke the seed, hinder the growth, and slowly but surely pull us away from Jesus. And so, what do we do with that? You know, that's pretty, pretty challenging, pretty confronting. What, what do we do with that? And, and I was, um, as I was preparing, I read this quote somewhere, and I thought, yeah, this is what we're going to be talking about today, says this, is, is there a practice from the life of Jesus that could set us up to thrive in the chaos of the over-busy, digitally, digit, digitally, digitally distracted, noisy urban world? Oh man, I haven't slept much this week, hey? so like, if I'm a bit stumbly on my words, um, forgive me. But is there a practice from the life of Jesus that could set us up to thrive in this world And he writes, yes, it's the practice of silence and solitude, which is, put simply, intentional time in the quiet to be alone with ourselves and God. That's what I want to talk about this morning, the practice of simply being alone intentionally with God. 
What if each of us just focused a little bit more on spending that intentional time with God? How healthy would that be for our soul, for our lives, and for our spiritual growth and maturity? So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. It will be on the screens as well. Luke chapter 4 from verse 1. Jesus has um, just been baptized. He's, we've, we've got the story of his birth, his growth, uh, of John the Baptist preparing the way, and then John the Baptist um, baptizing them. And then we get sort of the start of Jesus' ministry in verse chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him to you i'll give all this authority in their glory for it is it has been delivered to me and i'll give it to whom i will if then will worship me if you then will worship me it will all be yours and jesus answered him it is written you shall worship the lord your god and him only shall you serve and the devil took jesus to jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of god throw yourself down from there for it is written he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone and jesus answered him it is said you shall put the, you shall not put the lord your god to the test and when the devil had ended every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went through all of the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So if you know the life of Jesus, you know that this isn't the only time that he sort of escapes to be by himself. Um, it's a regular pattern and discipline in his life. And this word for wilderness, you know, we read that Jesus, he was, you know, led to the wilderness the word for wilderness is eremos, all right? Everyone got that? It's a key word. That's going to be the main point, the key point of this sermon, the head to the eremos. It means wilderness. It translates to desert or wilderness um, or desolate place, solitary place. Even it can be translated as the lonely place. Basically, it literally means an uncultivated, unpopulated place. It's just, there's nothing there. It's the Aramos. There's, it's the wilderness, desert, desolate place. And throughout the Gospels, it's used 32 times, often to describe what Jesus would do when he would go off by himself. So um, just later on in Luke 42, Luke 4, 42, it says, When it was day, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place. He went to a lonely place. He went to the Aramos. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. The very next chapter, Luke 5, 16, says, But Jesus would withdraw to desolate places to the Eremos and pray. So this is, it seems this regular pattern in the life of Jesus is to actually get away from his ministry, which is going really, really well. <laughs> there's stacks of people, there's crowds around him, they're ready to make him king, and yet he often regularly escapes from there. And goes alone, intentionally, 
to be with God. And I guess the question is for us, like, when's the last time you've done that? When's the last time that you've been to the Aramos where it's just been you alone with God? Reading your word, listening to him, praying. Maybe it was this morning, maybe it was sometime this week, maybe it was a little bit longer than that. Like, when's the last time that you've actually spent that intentional time alone with God? You know, I um, one of the things I was able to do this week, I traveled on a train from Tamworth to Sydney. It's six hours through rural, rural New South Wales. There's a lot of wilderness in Australia. There's a lot of a rain. Like, there was just nothing. I was like, it's beautiful, don't get me wrong, but it's like, there's nothing there. You know, when's the last time that it's just been you alone with God? No one else. No distractions. No phone. <laughs> no people. We'll get touch on that more in a moment. The other thing to consider from our passage is the role of the Holy Spirit in this. I mean, do you ever read it and just go, why did the Holy Spirit do that? Like, why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus to the wilderness for 40 days, 40 nights, no food, to be tempted by, like, the devil? Like, set up for a massive battle and he's got no food in his stomach or anything. You know, the movement is Jesus is baptized. The dove, the Holy Spirit, falls upon him as he's baptized. It then says in verse 1 that he's full of the Holy Spirit and then the Spirit leads into the wilderness. And as I was sort of preparing for this and reading around this, someone pointed out, and it changed everything for me, that what if the only way for Jesus to overcome the temptations he was about to face, what if the only way for him to overcome that was to be in the wilderness? To be away from the people, be away from the noise, be away from the distractions, and to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be praying and connecting with his Father, so that when the devil comes to him, you know, and, and tempts him, he snaps back. He's got scripture already on his mind. He's already engaged with God. It's not like, wait, hang on a minute, let me see what does the Bible say, what does the God think about this? No, he's not flipping the switch. He's not just saying, okay, now it's God time. It's, it's a continuation. He's in the wilderness, and when the devil comes to him, it's a continuation of what he's been doing for 40 days and 40 nights, putting God first, putting God central. And so when the devil comes to him, it's just simply a matter of continuing that, not trying to switch it on in the moment. See, we know from the rest of Scripture that, that God and, and the Holy Spirit, like he, they know what they're doing. The wilderness is not necessarily a place of weakness. Although we do read that Jesus was hungry and he was probably physically, you know, a bit weak. But maybe spiritually he was at the top of his game. He was ready. He was prepared because he had been connecting with God. See, for many of us, the Aramos, the lonely place, is very much that. It's lonely and we don't like it. And it is a place of weakness. We often don't like who we are behind closed doors. We're not quite sure what to do. We're not quite sure what to say, what to read. We open the word and we go, what does that mean? And we, we, we struggle and, and, and the lonely place can be a place of weakness. But this morning my prayer is that that would flip and it would become the place of strength that it's meant to be. Because God is always by our side. God is with us and he desires to be with us there. See, for Jesus, the wilderness, the Aramos, the lonely place 
was a place of strengthening, where he was empowered to face the devil's temptations and empowered for his mission and life. And he went there because he kept in step with the Spirit. He was aware of where God wanted him to go and he decided to seek God there. I really believe that public devotion fuels, sorry, private devotion fuels public demonstration. That if you want to live out your faith publicly, you need to devote yourself to it privately. It, it doesn't work the other way. That it needs to be that continuation. That if we want to live this out in our world, in our workplaces, in our families, then it's got to be something that's lived out when it's just you and God. Especially in our world that desires authenticity and integrity. People want to see the real thing. And we need to cultivate that in the wilderness and in the lonely place. And what I love is that the movement of the Spirit in Jesus' life doesn't stop there. That he's baptized, he's full of the Spirit, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But then, verse 14, after he's overcome the temptations, it says that he returns in the power of the Spirit. That Jesus leaves the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. And his mission from there takes off. The word for power is dynamis. It's the Greek word, dynamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. That, that Jesus returns in sort of the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. I love that. I love that, that he's been in the desert, 40 days, 40 nights, seeking God, resisting the devil, and he returns in the power of the Spirit. The word is used 120 times throughout the New Testament, and it literally means this. The ability to perform. That we as God's people, because we have His Spirit, have the ability to perform what God has called us to do. Not by our own effort, not because of how great we are or how skilled we are, but by His Spirit. Only that gives us the ability to perform what God has called us to do. And that's what Jesus had. That He's then able to then go and begins His ministry. And to go and share the gospel, to do miracles, to lead people to himself and to the Father. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of power I want in my life. (laughs) I want the ability to perform what God's called me to do. I want that for myself, I want that for our church. I hope we would all want that, that sort of sense that actually I can do this. Not by my own strength, but by... The Spirit of God. And here's the thing. We've all got the power. It's not something you need to muster up. It's not something you need to sort of grab from thin air. We've got the power. Because if you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit is within you. And maybe we just need to spend a bit more time getting to know each other. So that when we go into our lives, it's a continuation of what's already happening. And our private devotion has fueled our public demonstration see this morning like I said my my main thing is just that we would head to the Aramos that we would get to the lonely place maybe it's time to create or renew this as a pattern as a rhythm as a discipline of your life intentional time alone with God 
it's like I said, I think I look at my, I know my life, it drifts. It goes really well for a little bit and then it drifts so off as life gets busy, things come up, <laughs> you know, different things come up. You sit down to read your Bible and then the phone goes off. The notifications pop up. We have so much going on, but it is so vital that we get to the Eremos. Throughout the, throughout the Bible, there's other examples. I mean, in Exodus 33, we read of Moses. Moses, you know, the Israelites were wandering through the desert and they set up their camp. And they set up the tabernacle in the middle, everyone else's tents around. And it says that Moses sent up another tent outside of the camp, which is the tent of meeting. That they would set up a separate tent outside of the camp. Not in the middle. Like The middle is where God's presence was. That's where the tabernacle was. But there was this sense that, actually, I need something away from everyone else to go and meet with God. It's the tent of meeting. And one of my favorite verses is, it says at the end of that passage that Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. <laughs> that, that Moses would go and do his thing, but then Joshua would stay and inquire more and spend more time with God. And maybe that's what allowed him to be the leader that he was later on we read of Elijah you know who's running from people who want to kill him and he ends up in the mountain and he hears the whisper of God see sometimes it's by circumstance other times it's by choice you know we see David throughout his life constantly finding himself alone in the caves and in his people running from people see sometimes it's circumstance that drives us there sometimes it's choice but no matter what drives us there the question is Will you seek God there? Because I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time by myself. I'm the mass, biggest introvert you can find. You know, like I'm, when you do the tests, that's like the middle extroverts here. I'm like here. I spend a lot of time alone, but I don't use a lot of that time to seek God. Do you know, so circumstances might drive us to be alone. Situations and choices might make us spend time alone. But the question is, will we actually seek God there? Knowing that maybe that's the best thing that we could do with our time. Here's the thing, like God, God's sovereign. You know, I love what Roxanne read out before. All those names of Jesus, all those titles of who he is. That he's sovereign overall. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the truth. He's Emmanuel, God with us. You know, he's all these things. So what if spending time in the wilderness, going to the Aramos and seeking God there, what if that's not just about giving up stuff, but what if that's about choosing something better? Do you know, what if it's, because really, that's what it is. It's not like, okay, I'm saying no to this episode of one episode of Netflix or I'm going to stop, you know, Instagram for a moment. Like, Instagram's the worst now. I don't know if you guys have Instagram, but it's like, it's got the green tick now. And it goes, yeah, you've caught up with all your posts. And it's like, I can't stop scrolling until I've got to that tick because I'm like, I might miss something. And it's really stressful. Um, but anyway, side issue. So, you know, but... Do you know, what if it wasn't about just saying no to these things, but what if it's actually about choosing something better? That actually spending time with Jesus is actually better for my soul than scrolling through Netflix or, you know, going through social media or watching that video or whatever it is. 
because often I think, oh, I need to relax, so I'll just chat the TV on, I'll open up this video game, whatever it is. But what if actually choosing Jesus is actually better? Like, what if? I've got a feeling it, it could be. Just because of who God is. He is sovereign. He is beautiful. He's wonderful. He's powerful. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He's our healer, our provider, our sustainer. Maybe he's so much better than everything or anything this world has to offer. See, what good is it to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What good is it to sleep for an extra 10 minutes and yet forfeit your soul? What good is it, you know, to see every post on Instagram and yet forfeit your soul? Like, what good is it to, you know, fill in your own blank? What good is it to yet forfeit our soul? See, Jesus died and rose again in 1 Peter 3. Verse 18, it says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That he might bring us to God. That Jesus died not so that you would work for him, but that you'd be in relationship with him. That God loves you. In fact, I have a feeling he might even like you. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants to be in that relationship with you. And that has to trump all other things in our life. The rhythm that I'm working to implement if you want like a practical guide, this is one thing I'm trying to do is 10 minutes a day, an hour a week, a day a month. That's sort of the rhythm I'm trying to implement. 10 minutes a day, an hour a week, a day a month. I'm still not quite sure on what the day looks like because that seems a bit crazy. But I heard someone else do it. I'm like, oh, let's give that a shot. 10 minutes a day, an hour. Like, just what, like I said, what good could that be for our soul, for our spiritual life? 10 minutes a day to pray, to get alone with God, to disconnect from the world and to connect with our Heavenly Father. Like I said, I I think this is so important for us, for each individual to find space where it's just you and God. Family devotions are great. Praying with your spouse is great. It's fantastic. But these things are an addition, not a substitution. They're an addition to our time alone with God, not a substitution. We need to find time for each and every person to spend alone with God. So, would you head to the Aramos this week? Would you head to the wilderness, to the lonely place, spend time with God, knowing that it's key for our soul, for our spiritual growth? If Jesus needed to do it, I think it's a pretty good um, guide that we need to do it as well. If Jesus had this as a regular pattern in his life. And one of the things that gets me excited as well is that I think, okay, one, yes, it will have a big impact on your life. But I also think that it could actually have an impact in the lives around us as we go out from that place. See, Jesus didn't stay in the wilderness. <laughs> he didn't just spend all of his time there. He actually went from there to then go and minister. And if you follow through, if you go through the Bible, I would encourage you to do this this week. Just do a, like a Bible search on the internet of like 
um, wilderness or solitary place or whatever and look at the times when Jesus spent time alone with God. He did it before he picked his disciples. He did it obviously in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. It's like key moments of Jesus' life where he actually goes to this place. And it's like after that he goes, oh, it's like almost a refocus, a re, you know, this is what I'm here for. That actually this, you know, as we go from this place, as we go from the wilderness, the things that happen. Um, I've been reading a bit from this guy, Edward Friedman. I was um, looking at some stuff. He's online. He's a Jewish rabbi. And um, he writes on this concept called the non-anxious presence. And he talks about, he does a lot of work with families and counseling and, and stuff like that. And he says that, and he, he applies it to leadership as well, that actually the people that make change more often than not in their situations are the people that have the non-anxious presence. So they're present to what's going on, but they're not anxious about it. So they're present, they're engaged, they know what's going on, but they're not. Like, so he talks about families, he gets families in who are going through different issues and stuff, and he'll sit and observe and ask questions and try and figure out who's the non-anxious one, who's the one that's not anxious about things, but knows what's going on. And it's not always the parents, sometimes it's the kid, and then he uses the, the children, whoever is the person, he uses them to sort of bring the change into a situation. And I just love that thought that like, what if we could actually go alone with God? We could meet with the Prince of Peace. We could then have a sense of peace that we bring into our world and that then from there we can actually create change. We can actually influence and impact people because we've met with God. We've spent that time alone and we know the God who holds the world in His hands. And we know the God who's planned out and orchestrated all things. And we know that and that we then walking in faith, trusting in that, continuing that into our lives. And when people meet us, when issues come against us, when temptations come into our face, we're actually not rocked by it. Because we're founded and we're grounded in what Jesus has done for us and who God is. You know, in Philippians 4 it says... Present your requests to God and your petitions with thanksgiving. And what does it say after that? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if that's how we lived each and every day? <laughs> that we'd go to the Aramos, to the wilderness, alone with God, present our requests, our petitions, our thanks to God, and that his peace, which transcends all understanding, would then guard our hearts and minds. And that's what we'd then take into the world. A sense of peace in a time where anxiety is through the roof, in a time when, you know, so much is going on in our world that we actually could carry a sense of peace into that. Once again, not because of who we are, but because who God is. The Prince of Peace. The Maker of Heaven and Earth. The God Almighty. Because in the end, it's not about the practice. <laughs> you know, the practice of getting alone with God, yes, that's, that's great. But the power is not in the practice. The power is in the person. And we need to know this morning that the God of the universe, Jesus, the Savior of our souls, the Holy Spirit, 
God desires to meet with us each and every day. And part of this morning is just to create space for that, with our worship, with our prayer, that we can know that Jesus has died and risen again to bring us back to God. And I don't know about you, like I said, but I drift in that, and I need help in that. And so what we're going to do to finish off do something a little bit different just in this light of doing things a bit differently this morning if that's okay but what I thought we can do what if we just spent 10 minutes alone with God we've got all this space now so we've got to use it but what if I just want to encourage us like we do this at youth group all the time so all of our young people should be cool but like you can go outside you can take your chair you can move it you can just stay where you are I mean there's no rules or about it but what if we just took 10 minutes rather than to respond with a song, rather than, you know, pray or whatever? Like, what if we just, each of us just went and spent 10 minutes with God? Cool? All right, let's go. So find a place. You can take your chair. You can move around. You can stay where you are. You can go for a walk outside. Like I said, it's not about the practice and the rules around that. It's about meeting with the person. So go and know that Jesus, he wants to meet with you. And, um, yeah, like I said, in about five, ten minutes' time, you'll hear some music. That's your cue to sort of come back in. No music now, though, because we're going silent. Cool. Go for it. <laughs>